Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to Dear Prudence. We have a very special show today. It's our first ever live show. This was recorded on Thursday, January 25th at the Bravo Theater in San Francisco, where I was joined on stage by two of my best friends and favorite people in the whole world. First, Nicole Cliff, a writer and advice columnist whose work has appeared in Slate, The Guardian, Elle, New York Magazine. She and I also co-created the website The Toast together. She now co-writes Slate's new parenting advice column, Care and Feeding. Next up is Jasmine Guillory, a lawyer and writer who lives in Oakland. Her debut novel, The Wedding Date, is out this week. All right, here's the show. Oh, hello. This is very exciting. Welcome to the very first Dear Prudence live show. I'm your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. I say that on the show. Hi, you guys. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to see all of your faces and to see your faces more. Um, I don't want to brag, but I do want to start by letting you all know that as of this afternoon, I am now officially qualified to give parenting advice. I spent easily 30 to 35 minutes unchaperoned with Nicole's baby (laughs) in a hotel room. Can I just say, this is my first time out without the baby today. So I was worried. <laughs> I think, especially because we have a fun little story about, uh, what, when did this happen? Was this a week after you, ha- you gave birth to your darling third child, Loretta? Sometimes, Nicole will talk about people that I don't know. And I tend to respond in a form of like playful aggression, sort of like, what the hell is this that you're trying to talk to me about? <laughs> and perhaps a week after she had given birth, Nicole texted me. Did you text me and others? Was it a group just thread? Just you. Just me, just myself, just me, her best friend. And uh, said, Loretta's really been acting up today. And I said, who the fuck is Loretta? <laughs> and I just, I want you guys to know, I was not being playful. It wasn't a callback. I had no idea who she was talking about. Is this a house guest? Is this a neighbor? Like, you need to give me context clues. I had narrated the natural birth of Loretta for approximately the amount of time it took to give birth to Loretta. Maybe three days We We texted a lot during. I just, I didn't think of her as something that acted up yet. I'm so glad that you are both here. (laughs) Giving advice. You guys have both been on the show. Yes. um, And you have both given the best advice, which is why the two of you are here. It is completely uh, unbiased, just the best two advice columnists that I also happen to call my best friends and started a business with. That's right. And uh, Jasmine is really good for uh, real jobs because I worked at a hedge fund, but apart from that, it's just new media. Uh, which is, which is not you know, job. this is a very online crowd. 
Um, I worked at Yelp for three weeks once. <laughs> so I did Mal's, I did a reference call for Mal for Yelp, and they were talking uh, about Mal, and they were like, is there anything else you'd like to say? And I said, well, um, you should offer Mal the job, uh, but if I ever start something, I'll immediately hire Mal, and Mal will quit. Three that, weeks later. <laughs> the second week I took a vacation <laughs> that had been previously scheduled and I could not get out of, and the third week I quit when my boss took me out to get frozen yogurt to ask how I was settling in. <laughs> so I want you guys to know we're going to answer a couple of questions that I have culled from the inbox. And I have gone back mm. into the depths mm. of the inbox, by the way. I was like searching key terms that I knew were going to turn up like exciting prospects. I searched the term cruise because I was just like, I bet weird things happen on cruises. <laughs> and I was 100% right. <laughs> and then afterwards, we're going to take a little time uh, to answer some of the questions that you, the good people of the Brava Theater, might have. Uh, and then we're going to release you all into the night and that's going to be the end of it and it will be over. You'll have to go home. Um, but that's not now. That's, that, that moment has not yet arrived. For this brief, beautiful moment, you're here with us. Uh, I'm really excited. Who's going to be like the, the contrarian tonight? Who's going who's to fight? It's going to be you. So you guys are, you guys are going to be united, and I'm going to be the one just. Jasmine is the most appropriate of us, I would say. Um, I am a real sucker. So for, I saw Passengers for the first time like four days ago, and I thought it was very romantic. <laughs> I sure would have been fine with being woken up by someone so good-looking who liked you're, my writing. You're allowed to wake me up. I mean, we, we had a whole We're subsequent conversation. Like, you can wake me up, 100%. but then I'm waking everybody up. <laughs> like, none of this, like, quietly suffering while everyone else naps for 90 years. Like, you're all waking up, and then we'll all panic and figure out a solution. None of you should wake anybody up. Jasmine's not even getting on this generation no, ship. I'm not <laughs> Jasmine's like, I live on the earth. <laughs> no space. No. Yeah, but you're space a sucker, except for every once in a while, you come out swinging and it's beautiful. Every once in a while. Um, and then I'm just going to go with whatever it is I'm against it. I'm just going to bring a real Groucho Marx energy to this whole All operation. Right. Fantastic. So I'm going to start. I, the producer very kindly printed these out for us, which was very nice, because when I showed up uh, tonight, they said, did you print out the questions? And I said, was I supposed to? And they said, we did not ask you to. And I said, then I did not. <laughs> so this first question, oh, this, they, they don't have subjects. I, I'm so used to, like, on the podcast, like, I do the subject first. So this, this has lost its C. So as, as you can probably tell, this is one of the ones that showed up when I wrote cruise in the, in the search box. Dear Prudence, years ago, I worked on a cruise ship and dated a fellow coworker who told me that he was divorced and had a child. I cared for him deeply, but he turned out to be an alcoholic, drug-abusing, cheating liar. We only dated for four months, but in cruise ship world... <laughs> that feels like a year. Despite all the awful things he did, I loved him and saw the good in him. His problems ran deeper than just poor choices. He came from an abusive family, went to a reform school where he was badly treated, and I felt like I could help save him. 
It got to the point where he was drinking so much that I had to force him to wake up, help him get dressed, and make sure he did his job every day. After he cheated on me and I begged him to make it work, we broke up. Fast forward to this year. Through a lot of therapy and time, I'd forgiven him and myself and realized that I wouldn't have been able to help him because he didn't want to help himself. He contacted me by Facebook and apologized for how he treated me recently. I accepted the apology, and from our multiple conversations since then, I believed he was doing well, was sober, and was back with his ex-wife and child. About a month ago, I found out from his Facebook page that he died. Even after I directly asked the person who seemed to know the most, no one would say how other than health problems. Another friend made a cryptic post about how the details weren't important and that we needed to pray for his family. I've been obsessively Googling his name because I have a sick feeling that it wasn't health problems like they said. The people in his life now have no idea who I am or what we went through together. I also have no way of knowing if he was really divorced at the time we dated. And I have no desire to stir the pot with his ex-wife or wife by saying, I love this man, please tell me what happened. But I'm going nuts not knowing if it was an overdose, a suicide, or a freak accident. Is there a respectful way to ask someone to tell me what happened? Or am I going to have to accept that I may never know? Does anyone think there's a respectful way to ask? No. 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 <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking over that too, because I do, I am a naturally inquisitive person. Uh, if this was somebody that I had dated, no matter how long ago it was, you know, I, I can relate to the idea of wanting to know the details, even if there wasn't anything that I could do to help. But if someone does not give you details about how someone died, there's no polite way to ask for the details because it's not a polite thing to do. So what do we, so, so no, don't ask. No, we got that. We all agreed. We all agreed you don't ask. Um, I, I think we're also agreed, definitely don't tell his wife. Like, no. hey, we were involved eight years ago on a cruise. Was that okay with you? It was a cruise thing. It was cruise ship <laughs> world. Serious. Was it cruise ship world or cruise ship land? It couldn't be land, it's on a ship. Thing. Um, I did want to ask a lot of questions about like, what are the rules of like working cruise on a cruise world. ship? Yeah. Um, yeah, so don't, don't ask anybody. No. Um, I, I get it, it's painful if someone that you used to date died. I don't want to be totally like harsh on this letter writer, but um, you know, sometimes the answer to feeling like curious and frustrated is just you get to feel curious and frustrated. Also, it's not going to make any difference why he died or what happened. He's dead now. Like, the time right. is to... You didn't get closure. Yeah. And suddenly you didn't get time to prepare. That's just painful. Um, if it's really hard... I... God, what do we make? Like, five minutes before I start plugging therapy? Yeah. Go to therapy. Yeah. Go to it, therapy. She does need to go to therapy. Yeah. I, I think a therapist would be a great person because a therapist is presumably someone that you can say a lot of stuff to that you can't say other things to. And you could say, like, I really want to, like, do this nutty thing. I want to call his wife. I want everyone to know how important we were to each other. I felt like I helped get him sober. Um, and if he, you know, wasn't sober when he died, I'll feel like that was somehow, like, a negation of the work I tried to do. And what does this mean about me? And, and also, she clearly already went to therapy and did some real good work with that. Yes. Go back. Yeah, it worked yeah. before. It'll work again. And just maybe sit for a month or two and see if you still have feelings of quite this intensity around it because death is just like you know a big deal for people and if three months down the road you just are no longer as passionately like upset and curious you might just be able to wander off yeah i would say too spend some time off of facebook oh. right like because the facebook was how you facebook was how you guys reconnected facebook was how you found out he died um you've already been doing a lot of obsessive googling um you know Facebook is probably a place that you could easily spend like three hours a night like combing through everything somebody says looking for like keywords to try to guess. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Reddit. 
particularly the Legal Advice Forum, the very superior Personal Finance Forum, and the Relationships Forum. <laughs> and I search things like cat, <laughs> hygiene. <laughs> it's great. Um, but there's a, a phrase that people use uh, in Reddit relationships, which is lawyer up, delete Facebook, hit the gym. Uh, and it's really good advice. Just like always together? Like you yeah. never do one? Always together. You can't go to the gym without getting a lawyer? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm so ready to hide bitcoins from a woman now. <laughs> They laughed at you. They'll laugh now. I just need a minute. Uh, I wasn't prepared for that one. But yeah, that's, that's great. So yeah, um, sure, get a lawyer. It's never bad to have a lawyer, I guess. Uh, certainly, if not delete Facebook, at least, you know, leave it alone for 30 days. Like, just give it a miss. Stop Googling his name. Yeah, stop Googling his name. Set up a Google alert for his name. Don't set up a little I just <laughs> there are some people that I need to keep tabs on <laughs> from a distance. And I have an amount of Google alerts that I have set up that they just email me either every three months or if the person's name comes up in the news. Have a friend set up a Google alert in his name, and then your friend can tell you. Your Matt friend has mine. can update you. You are my wisest friend. <laughs> when things are important enough. I thought you were going to come down so hard on me like, that's just wrong. You're like, no, 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 make a friend do it because yeah. they won't be invested. Yes. That's genius. Get a friend to have a Google alert for the name every three to six months and then just say, you tell me if anything comes up so yes. that you don't have to go check in. Uh, Mal and I, both professional advice columnists, read each other's emails sometimes when we're too scared to open them. Oh, 100%. I sometimes get an email and based on the subject line or how quickly it is sent after I sent Ooh. the first email, <laughs> write to Nicole, tell me what it says, because my threshold for personal discomfort is like, yay, hi. I know what to say in those. You always know what to I'm say. I'm like, it's, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. It's not fantastic. Yes. And then just slowly doula you through it. You do a beautiful job. Would you doula us through this next letter I would. by reading it? I'm so, I had to close my eyes. I hated myself so much for saying that. Dear Prudence, our family is a mom and dad with three grown-up kids here in the upper Midwest, which I'm led to believe is Michigan. Maybe Minnesota. Maybe. And we're about as problem-free and loving as any family out there. I'm writing because of my wonderful brother, Adam, whom I've long suspected is gay, but were too upper Midwestern and Lutheran, it was Minnesota. Mm. Um, to ask and risk violating his privacy, which is clearly important to him, any questions about his private life are expertly deflected, and he describes himself as, quote-unquote, perpetually single. He is not. I came into contact with a friend of a friend of a friend of his. <laughs> brother. Uh, and he revealed himself to be Facebook friends with Adam. He had a laptop handy and offered me a chance to see his Facebook page, something he not long ago denied having. It was sudden and I could not resist the chance. As it turns out, he's been in a years-long relationship with a man who is kind, industrious, and well-loved by their many Facebook friends. He's also the most stunningly handsome man <laughs> I've ever seen pictures of. They have been to dozens of events together 
including a European cruise. (laughs) He did not mention to any of us, and they really do look like the perfect couple. I may be concocting a problem where there really is none, but I'm heartbroken Adam can't seem to be able to share this part of his life with the rest of us. I really think all our lives would be better if he could. Uh, None of us, including our parents, have anything remotely negative to say about gay people, and Adam's partner would quickly be welcomed and loved by our family. So what to do? Nothing? I'm terrified of violating my brother's privacy and have no idea how he'd react. The rest of our family may suspect he's gay. It's been years since anyone even approached the topic, but have no clue he's in a storybook romance. So we're all picturing Cary Grant and Randolph Scott, right? (laughs) Aren't we always? From perpetually single to they've been on a European (laughs) cruise. Like, you guys know the pictures. You guys know that Cary uh, Cary Grant and Randolph Scott dated, yes? Great, fantastic. I'd be very upset. It's a good town. But there's that great photo spread of the two of them sitting on their, like, diving board that they shared in their beautiful home. That's what I'm imagining on all their Facebook pictures. It's just, just to set the scene. So uh, we were talking about this question with your mother uh, in the hotel who's now looking after the baby. Um, she's probably better. <laughs> than she me. probably is. Than she, me. She probably is. Uh, but uh, she and I were both immediately uh, on the sucker family side of oh, like, totally. well, you've got to find a way to talk to him. Family is all we have in this life. Uh, and I said... If your brother hasn't told you already that he is gay, there's probably a reason, and maybe he doesn't want to tell you. I think part of the clue there is it's been years since anyone talked about it, which, you know, sometimes people will say, we don't, like, like in the letter it said, we don't have anything bad to say about gay people. Um, and that's great. Good place to start. Wonderful. Full marks. Um, sometimes, though, if you don't say anything... Given that the sort of like net message one gets just from being a person who goes outside and lives in the world, if on the one hand you hear all the the bad things that people say about being gay all the time and from your family you hear nothing, uh, you default to assuming they have nothing to add to that conversation. They have no corrections they want to make. They don't want to you know, encourage anything. Um, This is an off-topic conversation. This is not welcome here. You know, it's not a warm, inviting silence uh, that makes you feel real safe, like a big old cocoon. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I think there's probably a reason that he's denied having a Facebook. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not something that somebody just says, like, by the way, I deny having Facebook. You deny it when you get asked a lot. Um, and you look like you want to say something. So, uh, by the way, I deleted Facebook, which I would love to tell everyone all the time. I it's just the want- only thing I've ever stepped away from. <laughs> uh, and it's real bad now. I use my mom's account sometimes. <laughs> uh, rural southern Ontario Facebook. It's not great. Um, but, Mal, do you think it's possible for the letter writer to say something along the lines of, um, is there any chance that you have someone like special in your life? I, yeah, so that so we could talk. About. I definitely don't think that they should just go to like with the status quo of just like let's mm-hmm. continue not to say anything and hope that someday he feels like welcome. Because of course, you know, if it's your family member and you do want to know more about them and you do feel close, um, I, I think the key is not so much to say, hey, I've like 
you know, found your Facebook anyways through a friend of a friend of a friend, and I want to kind of corner you because I want something from you, which again, I understand that it's really well-meaning, but um, he, it, again, like probably he has not hidden this really lightly from you. It probably wasn't just like a fun, whimsical idea he had one day. Um, so I think rather than kind of like pushing towards, I know this, I need to sort of gently intimate that I know this until you confess, um, which, you know, I, I totally get that, but like sometimes being loved feels like, like knowing a lot of Spanish inquisitors, um, you know, who have like Very blunted so. all the instruments, but they're still there. Um, and that's maybe not an accurate read on what love is, but it, it, <laughs> it can feel that way. Um, my, my read on this would be something more along the lines of like, hey, I feel like I have not communicated effectively to you that I love you so much. I'd love to know more about your life. Um, I don't wanna make assumptions and I don't wanna like tell you anything about your life. If you are gay, that is not only fine with me, I would love to know whatever you felt comfortable sharing with me about your life and if that's nothing right now, I just want you to know that I totally respect that but I, I haven't said this enough maybe. I haven't made it really clear um, that if that's going on, not only would I love and support you, um, I'd be excited for you and I would not like share that with the other members of the family. Because sometimes there's that element too of like, maybe your sibling would like to tell you, but has this sense of like, you might immediately tell everybody else. And I think this letter writer would also. Yes. Yeah, and again, <laughs> think about it. I, I don't think this letter writer is like a jerk. Like, I think this letter writer genuinely has really good intentions and really loves their brother and doesn't really have a clue why he would feel this anxious, circumspect, hasn't chosen to share this before. And so I, th I, think, I think the letter writer's best next move is to spend a lot of time imagining what her brother might be thinking and feeling. Not assuming that you know, but like spend a lot of time thinking about the ways in which his life has been really different from yours. Um, think about the reasons why he might make those choices. Try to figure out how you can um, you know, invite him to share more with you while also respecting them and not unmaking those choices for him. Because I got to tell you, even if you do it in the most like exciting, supportive, and lovable way, if you say, I found your Facebook, I told mom and dad, we all know you're gay now. <laughs> Don't worry, it's great. He is not going to be happy that you did that. <laughs> it's not going to feel good. I think we're good on this one. Yeah. I think we, you have we convinced all me as to what we should do. Yeah, and you know, like the good news is you found out something kind of great, which does not usually happen when you look at somebody's Facebook. That they like, told I found you. out a secret about my brother. He's so happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and of course, of course, there's a pain to that of like, I wish he could share that with me, but it's just like, well, you can't make him. You got to create the space for it. His husband is the best looking man that the letter writer has ever seen. The first thing I thought of is uh, Victor Garber's husband. Who is oh, the best-looking man? Remember we all found out about that in the world, and it was great because Victor Garber was like, "Yeah, I like told you guys ten years ago," and we were like, "Did you, Victor Garber? Were we just busy that day?" He's got like this shaggy mane of like graying wolf hair, and has like the f just this. He's so handsome. He's a, he models like it's yeah. Please just keep describing Victor Garber's husband. <laughs> for like 10 minutes. I have a lot of Victor Garber material too, but I think Jasmine's gonna read our next question. I do actually, before we finish, I got a text from a friend earlier today who, who understands my many, many um, complex feelings for Stanley Tucci. My friend thinks that she saw Stanley Tucci at a coffee shop today in the East Bay. So if any of you saw Stanley Tucci today in the East Bay or like can confirm his whereabouts in a normal way, not like, 
not like I know where he's at right now, but just like what part of the country he might be. That feels actually still not okay. <laughs> I heard myself saying that out loud, and I was just like, leave, leave the tooch alone. Um, I promise we did not plan in advance that I would be the one to uh, read this question. Dear Prudence, my partner and I have been together for a few months. I am white. They are not. As we were discussing our high school experiences, I told them that I had gone to a very small evangelical school in a notoriously racist town with a nearly 100% white staff and student body. Our teachers taught us very hateful things about people of color, anyone LGBT, and members of other religions that never quite sat right with me. When I graduated and got into the real world, I realized how much I'd been lied to and worked hard to put that mindset behind me. It's been several decades since I graduated, Um, When I told my partner about this, they were quiet for a while. I asked if they were okay, and they said yes. Now, though, they sometimes tease me about being a secret racist or joking that I don't like a particular person because of their race. I know I will never understand what it's like to be a person of color in America, especially right now, but this teasing hurts. When I've asked them if everything is okay and to please not say those things, they say they're fine, but continue the teasing. I understand why they may not feel they can trust me after learning about my past. I didn't choose to learn those things, but I'm actively choosing to unlearn them every day. Should I try to talk to my partner again? How do I approach this sensitively and delicately? Blanket answer is whenever someone asks me, should I try to talk to my partner about this again? The answer is almost always yes. Yes. Um, But there were a couple of things about it that left you kind of wondering some stuff. Yes. I think I was... How exactly did it come up that they grew up super racist? Like when I told my partner about this, what did did you like? It was it just I went to this terrible high school, or was it like also I went to some white pride rallies, or you know, like my what past. was your participation in the racist background that you grew up in? Because I think that informs a lot of what your partner may be thinking after hearing about your background. I'm also surprised that if the case, it would be surprising for me if the letter writer was more uh, intentionally like clouding the issue in a letter to uh, an advice column than to the partner. Because we're just getting this the past thing, and I think definitely there would have been follow-up questions. There was one other line in this uh, which bothered me which was um, when I told my partner about this, they were quiet for a while. Because no, if that's just, they used to tell me things, I don't think that's a goes quiet yeah. for a while and then brings it up a bunch. Yes, I, I have many questions about like what exactly you told your partner. And how did this come up? Like, Did they never know where you grew up? Because if your town is a notoriously racist town, one of the first things you talk about with someone is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And if someone found out, I mean, I don't know, I would. I don't know what a notoriously racist town is. Ebbing's Missouri. <laughs> but if but wouldn't your partner like step back Topical. and think like, huh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. Or had this never come up in however long you'd been dating? Right. I think the fact that there was a lot of silence followed by, "Hey, are you okay?" and like, "Yes." And now they're making some jokes that are clearly expressing tension. Yes. Because like, I think part of what your partner is doing is testing, like, "Am I safe with you?" Like, the reason that they're kind of saying, like, hey, is the reason you don't like this person because you are secretly racist, um, on some level, they're they're not sure. Uh, and they're kind of trying to figure that out. So, yes, the, the 
definitely needs to be a follow-up conversation. And part of what we just don't know is, um, yeah, there was that bit of like, uh, none of those things ever sat quite right with me. And then after I graduated, I tried to leave that behind me. And that could cover anything from like, I attended a school that like explicitly taught um, like religious hatred, um, racial prejudice, anti-LGBT animus. And then as soon as I got out of there, um, I like moved elsewhere, um, you know, became like an activist and did a lot of other stuff. Or it could mean like, I was raised in the Westboro Baptist Church and participated in like, you know, rallies, like protested abortion clinics, like, you know, did a number of things that would in fact be acutely painful um, to anyone who happens to like see them or be the target of them. So, you know, I think for the letter writer, the, the main thing is to kind of think through before they have that subsequent conversation of like, um, did I do anything other than simply as a child passively receive racist instruction? Because my guess is, you know, if you letter writer are white and you grew up in a like even more racist than usual town, um, probably there was more than just the passive reception just because, you know, anyone who benefits from racism and white supremacy perpetuates it um, in, in various times in their life. So there's probably a little more to the story that's worth kind of thinking about before you bring it up. Because if you bring it up and it's fuzzy to your partner and all you're asking your partner is, hey, will you stop making jokes because it's making me uncomfortable? You have like, again, centered, you know, white comfort um, over your partner's like sense of safety in the relationship. And that would not be good. And I feel like also, how long has this relationship been going on? Like, have they I think never a couple months, each they said? I, yeah, because, I mean, I would feel like, oh, so I guess we're never going to meet the families at this mm. point. Like, we're, I mean, I think the partner's feeling a lot of oh, tension about point. what the future of this relationship mm-hmm. is going to be like for them. So my read, and tell me what you guys think, and like how to approach that conversation would be like to sit down and to say, hey, I want to talk about this again. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot. It's clear that like you still have some unanswered questions, and I want you to know um, like I'm available to talk about those things. If there's anything you want me to explain further, um, if there's any other way that I can let you know ways in which I have meaningfully changed my life and attempted to make amends for whatever um, ways I like actively participated in that system, you know what can what can I talk to you about that would be helpful to you? Um, and, and that way, it kind of doesn't put the onus on your partner of like you have to stop making these jokes because I think. The more important thing is uh, the knowledge gap. Anything, anything else to put in there? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you have to sort of take some, maybe apologize for how you brought it up in the first place. Because I feel like the, converse, the first conversation clearly did not go well. Right. And I think the letter writer does not realize that mm-hmm. and only is worried about the jokes, where it's, the issue is more that the there needs to be a lot more talking. Yeah, and that's that's good. That's a really specific thing because you can kind of say we talked about it. You got quiet, and I just let that go. And I shouldn't have done that. I should have done more thinking about how I could bring that up with you. I should have taken into consideration your feelings and your sense of safety. Um, and I did not do a good enough job in that moment of taking like taking care of you and of being like thoughtful about how I brought up this topic with you. Um, because this is, you know, apparently big enough that you're going to need to like kind of bring it up in most of your important relationships throughout your life. Um, so it's, I think it's good to do a lot of work, not just of like, here's how I've left it behind me, um, but also here's how I carry it with me. Because um, it is a part of your life and a part of your story. And as much as, you know, 
any of us might like to leave something behind that makes us not think well of ourselves or that reminds us that we've participated in a, like a harmful power imbalance. Um, other people do not have the option of leaving that stuff behind them if they're affected by it. Um, and the family uh, structure, I think, is so, so important. Are they still attending this church? Um, are you still in contact with them in a big way? Right. How, is it the sort of thing of, this? like, I'm great now, but all my relatives are incredibly racist, yeah, so please don't, you know, don't ever be around if I'm on the phone with them. Yeah. Like, that would be... And we come we laugh, but come like, that Come over Christmas with me, though, and I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I just... Uh, yeah, I, that's a, I want to know what town it was. Yeah, I want, really want to know what town it was. It's my turn to read a letter next. Oh, this is great, because we already, already, we all three were just like, mm-mm. Mm. Except for you, you were like, no, this is possible. That's right, we, we're split on this one. I'm excited. Ooh, I forget. Uh, this one is just called No Work Friends, which is not a problem. <laughs> Cut them out. <laughs> if, I, if, like, nothing else, if, like, the only thing that comes out of, like, my turn at Dear Prudence, if people are like, what was that like when Mallory was Dear Prudence? It's like, someone gave you permission to not be friends with anybody you work with. Um, Do not give them your cell number. They don't need that. No, don't ask them to cat sit, which is a thing that happens. No. No. And, and not that it's... Mallory, like, I, maybe you should read the question. <laughs> Maybe I should. Um, I also will just call my op- myself out by saying Nicole met me through work. We met each other through work, and she's my best friend. So I met my husband and my previous boyfriend at work, and all of my friends are from. <laughs> I need to read toast. this question. Jasmine really needs me to read this question. So enough chit chat. Dear Prudence, I'm a customer service manager at a large company. It's a friendly place. I've worked there about six years and get along very well with my boss, but I don't have any work friends. It's very lonely, and I suspect I'm out of the loop on some things because I'm not part of the water cooler chit-chat. Plus, I have no one to ask if I want to get a drink to decompress after work, or if I need a work-related favor that's outside of any of our strictly defined job duties. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was my immediate reaction. Do you remember you when you were visiting me when I was eight months pregnant, picking up dog poop outside, and you yeah. were at the window, busting a gut laughing as I bent over to get she it? She was just bent over picking up dog poop, dog poop, and it looked like a, a, a Bruegel painting, you know, of just like a peasant woman laboring in the field. You were so pregnant, you looked like you were about to give birth, and you were picking up dog shit, and I wasn't helping at all. <laughs> I love Mallory. I never visited you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love I love her so much. <laughs> I would do anything for her. And the only stories I've told you about our friendship is I laughed at her when she was picking up after her dog, and I don't know her baby's name. <laughs> <clears throat> there are a few logistical issues. <laughs> I work odd hours, and my office is in an annex that my colleagues rarely walk through, but I still think it's mostly an issue with me. Whenever someone tries to strike up a casual conversation with me, I feel like I need to get back to my work and know that they can feel the tension. I'm an agreeable and fun person everywhere else in my life. How can I become friends with people I've known for years in a way that's work-appropriate? 
Mallory and Nicole both said no, even though they've met many people at work. Some of my best friends are people that I met at work, so I say there's lots of value in work friends. But they've known each other for years, and they've never done a thing. That's hard. That's a hard transition. It is a hard transition. I think coffee is your first move is one of the people who strikes up conversations with you sometimes, who you feel scared that you have to go back to work with, strike up a conversation with them and say, hey, want anything from Starbucks? Why don't we head there? That is a general workplace in the middle of the day way instead of like after work drinks, which seems a little scarier at first. Go get coffee with someone and then keep maybe going to get coffee with them and see how the friendship progresses. That is good, too, because most of my friendships have begun by, like, do you want to stop working and for me to buy you something? Um, I, like, I, I, do, I genuinely mean that. And it is fair because the letter writer says, I'm lonely and I want to make friends. So even though I have a kind of slightly, like, bias towards don't make work friends, it's fine, um, this letter writer is clearly, like, feeling six years worth of, like, not even having somebody that they could just, like, skip off to the break group to and be like, oh, did you see a movie recently? That was good. I don't like work friendships. I can't, I can't imagine a dialogue that I'd like to have. So uh, my old job, um, part of my job was to be incredibly deceptive to people we were, that we wanted to hire um, because this was a, a quantitative black box uh, hedge fund. As you know, statistical arbitrage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do not ask follow-up questions. Nicole tried to explain <laughs> slippage to me earlier, and it did slippage not take... Models. Slippage models. Slippage models. Slippage um, models. But the, the firm was staffed almost entirely by, like, uh, very grim-looking people from Eastern Europe and just, like, really nerdy-looking dudes and no women except in the back office. And so when people came for their, like, interview day or their cell day, which was very fancy, um, they would make me take them to lunch and talk to them about Doctor Who. <laughs> So they thought that if they came to work for our company, they would spend much of the day getting to meet fun women who know about Doctor Who. (laughs) And they never saw any of us again. (laughs) I feel like we got to get back to this letter writer. Yes. Which is, I feel like maybe 50% of their problem is just they need to give themselves permission to say hi to people. Yeah, just like, relax. You stress out when you're taking a break during the day. Stop which is hard. It's hard to tell yourself to relax when you're not yeah. relaxed. But if some of what you just need is permission, like you, you have it from me. Like you say, you already know that you're fun and agreeable. Um, you have this kind of nagging sense that you need to be working constantly, but it's actually very normal for people to like, you know, take five or 10 minutes throughout the workday every now and again to chat with their colleagues, especially since part of what you want the friendship for is like to, you know, occasionally ask for help with a project. Um, so it's, it's, it's hardly as if you're like, I really want to like take off every afternoon and I want to partner in crime. Um, so some of it is just like, it is okay. Um, if, if it helps you, honestly, maybe like budget five minutes a day, like have a little part on your calendar that's like literally friendship. Um, that it sounds a little goofy, but like if part of what you need is to feel like this is not open ended, I am not like giving up on my work duties. There's going to be like a beginning, middle and end to this. You can say, okay, this is part of the like socialization with my colleagues. Um, I have picked a person in advance who I already am like friendly with in meetings. Um, and I'm going to go ask if they want to get coffee. And if they say no, I will just go back to my desk and try somebody else the next day. Like, I'm not going to try to keep going or like resume momentum because I'll feel a little deflated like 
Just, just keep it on the calendar for a while. Also, a great way to get people to come by your desk more often is to have a candy jar. <laughs> people stop by to see what kind of candy there is, and then you chat, yeah. and then you have a nice, then maybe sometime you get coffee or a yeah. drink, yeah. but people will start coming by to see Gum, your candy jar. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, the individually wrapped uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, the mini ones, because then it takes them some time. Yeah, right? <laughs> Always have a variety of candy. Nobody knows what they're going to get. They'll be excited. Ooh, there's Reese's today. That's great. Uh, Dear Prudence, I am a PhD student, and my husband works full-time. For the past two summers, I have not had any vacation opportunities. I hate him. I'm sorry. I just didn't like... I hate him. (sighs) Uh, Any vacation opportunities, aside from a few long weekends to go camping, but we'll have multiple weeks off at the end of this upcoming summer. I would like to take some of this time to go on a solo road trip to some nearby states, as there are several national parks I want to visit before I graduate, and we move back to the East Coast. My husband thinks this is selfish of me, and unfair, because he wants to go too. He could go if he wanted to, but instead is choosing to use his vacation time to visit friends back east in the fall, bracket without me, and bracket. I have suggested that I stick to parks that he is not interested in so that he doesn't feel left out. But he insists that it's not fair to leave him at home. I don't know if I'll have another opportunity like this while I'm out west. I feel pretty confident that my husband is being unreasonable, considering he is going on his own solo trip. But I still feel a bit guilty now. Am I breaking some sort of unspoken marriage rule by wanting to do something without my husband? Thank you, audience. (laughs) First of all, there are no unspoken marriage vows. You speak them when you get married. You say them out loud in front of God. In that botanical garden. (laughs) I, I mean, I think that she should let her husband go on his vacation to the East Coast with his friends. And when he comes back, it should be to an empty home. Because what? (laughs) I I do not like her husband very much at all. Yeah, letter writer, you already get it. You just need someone to to, to say back to you, yes, your husband is being a silly goose. He is being a silly goose. Marrying someone does not mean you never get to take a trip alone for the rest of your life. They would put that in the vows if that was a rule. Is he usually like this? Like, this is not something someone breaks out in the middle of being a functional, emotionally healthy marriage. Like, this bozo has done something before. Or been like, you know, you watched that without me when I was thinking about telling you that I wanted to see Phantom Thread. You watched that. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me that people who say, did you watch that without me, I think are not committed to the greatest possible good. (laughs) Is what I think about them. Um, So in terms of this husband, I had a friend whose grandmother had a wonderful phrase 
um, which was that all people are divided into two groups, people who are radiators and people who are drains. <laughs> and this gentleman is so obviously a drain, regardless of what he's like in the rest of his life. He has walked past a dishwasher that's blinking, <laughs> that it's finished, and he's thought to himself, I'm going to pretend I didn't see it. And if I'm ever quizzed about it, I'm going to pretend like I don't know the blinking light means it's ready. It's he not knows. science. He knew every time. Uh, yeah, go on your vacation. Uh, you know, and you don't need to like get mad. You just need to be like, as you are taking your solo vacation without me, so too am I taking a solo vacation without you. I invite you to wish me joy. And if you would like to sulk about it, I will not participate. Like, if he gets real sulky, you can just be like, I'm real sorry to hear that. There's someone who doesn't suck in the next room, and I'm going to go talk to them. <laughs> like, do not, do not let him, like, charge you for the vacation with, like, putting up with his sulking. Because he'll try to sulk. Because I hate him. <laughs> I just know he... Sometimes I like to pretend. All the jerky husbands I hear about are the one guy. One guy. <laughs> Just one guy. Not um, mine. Mal likes mine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, 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 because some of the husbands I hear about are great people. And some of the wives I hear about are real jerks. Ooh, real women jerks. can be terrible. Uh, but like, uh, you know, it, 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 it just helps sometimes. I think it's limited to one guy who never unloads the dishwasher, hates vacations, <laughs> you know. Keeps asking for a threesome. I was trying to think. After of, you said you had I, no interest. I, I don't. I don't get letters like that. I was trying to think of like who's uh, like the bidet guy. Like he's the same, but he was a boyfriend. The bidet guy. Yeah. Um, and I actually like. I was charmed by their little update. Well, and also he relented because you were so he, hard on on the podcast. Yeah. And, he came she, around. and I appreciate that he listened to it. And she said oh. he he felt chastened, but also laughed at the many creative ways I said I bet he's a bad person. Um, <laughs> So I, I guess what I want is I want more of the people who write into me about their bad husbands because that's really where I'm at my best, like you know, um, to to tell me what happened when they made their husbands listen to it and got to hear me hold forth. I'm like I bet he never picked up a fork in his life. Mal is Liam Neeson. He lacks character and drive. I am I am the Liam Neeson of making sure everyone does their fair share of the dishes. Well, I don't even remember what that was about. Go on vacation. If he's dead when you come back, who cares? <laughs> Dear Prudence, I just listened to the second episode in recent memory where you have referenced having a meal <laughs> that consists solely of eating peanut butter from a jar. I'm a little concerned for you. Is Slate not paying you enough to provide a square meal? What can we, your loyal listeners and readers, who wish for you a lifestyle that includes satisfying meals due to help? Or is there really just something so lovely about a meal of peanut butter that I am missing? Look. I think if we've learned anything tonight, it's that my strengths lie in having a lot of feelings, talking about my feelings, end of a list. <laughs> I don't plan great. 
sometimes we schedule a couple of episodes to be recorded in a row, and I have other jobs, so I sometimes schedule them all in a row. And as I'm leaving the house, I remember all of my work is today. I have no food and no time. And the clo- you ever tried to grab just like one food that's going to keep you going for several hours? Jar of peanut butter fits right in your hand. <laughs> I actually distinctly remember one time you tweeted that you grabbed a jar of peanut butter but had not grabbed a spoon and was trying to figure out how to eat peanut butter in public without a spoon. Yeah, I, like with an old diner's club card. <laughs> the worst part was, so I record at um, UC Berkeley uh, in the journalism, in the, in the journalism like, uh, department, and they have a little courtyard area. And so I went there with my little sad backpack full of peanut butter, feeling fine about it. Like it's... I was happy with my choice. Later that day, I ate falafel. I'm fine. Slate has a union now. They pay me great. Congratulations. Union. Uh, But I went to the courtyard with the express intent of, I have no spoon. There's no utensils here. Uh, I'm going to wait till the courtyard clears out because there's only two people here and they look like they're about to finish up their meal. Uh, And I'm going to either eat it with my lighter because I quit smoking this year, but I still have a bunch of lighters lying around. Um, or one of my, uh, you know, uh, movie theater rewards cards. <laughs> and I was fine with my choice. I just didn't want anyone to see me do it. <laughs> and so I wait. And, like, right before those other people leave, a group of attractive young French people... <laughs> Like, I'm not kidding you. Speaking French. You know how French sounds? Like ballet. Like, they swan in with these big bowls. Like, they're carrying bowls in their hands. Like, like background for, like, tests of the D'Urbervilles. Like, before it all goes wrong, when they're still eating strawberries to represent sensuality. And they have big bowls of, like, salads and, like, a roast chicken. And they, like, come over to me and they say... And beautiful Frenchy English like do you mind if we sit down at this picnic table right next to you and I'm like I would love that and so they all surround me and it's like one of those it's like Bilbo Baggins's birthday and I just sit there and I know like I don't have the stones I'm not like I'm not gonna I'm just gonna sit there next to their beautiful meal like the little match girl thinking about my jar of peanut butter, which is sitting in front of me. Now, I think you would have given them the greatest gift that an American can give a European. There's nothing that French people like more than to see Americans do very stupid-looking things. Uh, I got... I went on a real tear about Europeans on Twitter the other day. I'm not even American. Uh, But I was on a real tear about Europeans because uh, someone informed me that their parents have, like, an exchange teen. And the teen said, oh, this is so exciting. I understand that Americans, when they're feeling sad, sometimes eat an entire pint of ice cream. (laughs) Is that true? And I was just like, your washing machines are small. (laughs) None of you have dryers. Your sinks are hot and cold, and the hot is extremely hot, and often you do not have the thing to mix it with, and who has that kind of time? Okay, also, this is the worst thing about France especially. (laughs) 
Okay. Especially the French. It's one of the things that I am the most fiercely patriotic about after the, you know, amendments. We love Their those. Their toilet paper is terrible. Oh. It's it is pink. terrible. It's pink. It's sandpaper. It's like, it's thin. It's awful. I will, I will wrap this, this up. Their pastries are delicious. I did just get the five-minute warning from my producer, and I think we still have a question left to go, but I will say that the only time I've ever been to France, I was 12 years old, I ordered a ham sandwich, and I cried because I thought the ham was raw because of how thin and pink it was. And then some teenagers on the steps of Versailles offered me a cigarette, and I said no, and I felt very excited to get to say no to cigarettes. Four years later, I started smoking. I only just quit by the skin of my teeth. I should have just said yes then and gotten like started earlier. It makes you look so cool. It does. They looked amazing. <laughs> All right. Last question. Um, Dear Prudence, I'm a 28-year-old divorcee. My husband and I separated a year and a half ago. Since then, I've had a few flings and tried dating apps, but haven't really seen anyone seriously. My husband and I had been together for nearly a decade, and divorce was truly wrenching for me. What's more, it was my fault. I had an affair that devastated him and caused him to end our marriage. And that's the most profound regret of my life. I hurt him for profoundly selfish reasons. I grieved for a long time. And in some ways, I'm still trying to put myself back together. A few months ago, my ex dropped off a bunch of books I'd left in the apartment we shared and helped me pick up a bookcase. Sometime later, he asked me to dinner. And we've been hooking up pretty consistently ever since. He often stays over. I love you guys. You're like a studio audience. (laughs) I feel like I'm watching an old episode of Frasier. He often stays over and he sometimes spends whole weekends with me. My feelings for him have been reignited and I feel I love him as deeply as I ever did. We're still so comfortable with each other and I feel so loved when I'm with him. He holds my hand. I asked him once about getting back together and somehow he wound up crying. Since then, I've... Yeah, I, I hear it. I hear it now. Backstage, I was like, I think they might be able to get back together. And Nicole she thought just, they should. Nicole just looked at me like, no. <laughs> Since then, I've just been trying to take it easy and enjoy his company. I think this is one of those questions that answers itself as I write about it. This is probably an unhealthy thing to be doing. But the thought of ending it and losing our gentle trysts. She said gentle trysts. I did. I mean, you should have been saying that before you cheated on him, but you know. Marriage is a sacred covenant. <laughs> and the sweet time we spend together makes me want to cry all over again. That being said, I, still f- I also feel profound melancholy on the nights when I'm alone at not having someone to call my own and sleep next to. I want someone who wants to be with me every day. How can I get out of this situation without cracking? I mean, look, you're going to crack. You're already so, cracked. You are that? cracked wide open. <laughs> my gentle friend, you are a mess. And I say that with love. Like, you are devastated all the time. All you the are time. cracked. I think this is one of those times when we suggest something that all three of us think is a great idea. Therapy. Therapy. I'm sorry, I had water in my mouth. I, I missed the moment we, we all said we it We didn't plan it. Yeah. yeah. So therapy and stop seeing him. Yeah. Therapy and Therapy keep and stop seeing him seeing until your therapist him. makes you stop. You, you need to go for no contact, which is a very good subreddit. <laughs> R, no contact. And it's just like a bunch of people being like, I didn't do it today. I didn't do it today. And people being like, yeah, man, you didn't. 
and Wait. they want to real bad, but they support each other. Hang on, though. So is no contact like one day you just stop taking his calls? I think you should uh, say something final, okay. which is that this is deeply, deeply painful for you um, because you love them very much and you're always aware of how much you have hurt them by your own actions and that is preventing you from moving on to the next phase of your life. Is preventing both of you. And that you are going to drop out of touch for a while. And then block, mute, probably mute, um, and just therapy and never speak to them again. As long as you live. I, I think that's probably the wise choice. But they do both seem to be very much in love with each other. Every once in a while, somebody undivorces, and it's very charming. I, I'm not saying it's likely, but I think as you are ending it, it, it might be okay to say, I love you very much. I think we still both love one another. If there is any chance that you would like to try to actually date, possibly go to couples counseling together, see if there's any way we can get past the affair, um, and then if... You know, it's absolutely undoable. I would need to stop seeing you, which would be very sad, but ultimately for the best. Uh, but if you cried because you love me a lot and you're just afraid of trust, I sure don't want to cheat on you again. Don't say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> also, this feels like a pretty recent breakup if he was still bringing books, books. that she left. So maybe they just needed a... It's like a year and a half after simmer. a decade together. That means they like got married when they were 18, which... Yeah. That's in a whole nother, like, additional wrinkle, right? Like, of just... Of course it's hard to let go of yes. this, like, representation of who you were as a young adult, but it doesn't seem... It doesn't I, I would seem like the, it's a good situation for either of them right now. Yeah. Why did she cheat? That's not something that the no, letter writer really goes into. Because are fun, is what I hear in letters all the time. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Affairs do not seem fun. Everyone who has oh. them is bummed out. Seriously about it. And you're going to get caught because of technology. And also, keeping secrets is just very complicated. Oof. So many little lies. Yeah. Big little lies, one might say. <laughs> hey. Good night, everybody. Oh, I'm so sorry to that. Yes, okay. We're way past five oh, minutes. I, I do think Mal has talked me into shooting your shot one shoot last time. Like, you've already gone through six months of, like, weepy sex. You might One as well bad say, conversation. <laughs> like, you might as well say... I still love you. If any part of you wants to try to make it work, I would be more than willing to do that. But also, if he cries again, then it's time to cut it off. Right. If what you does your crying mean? If you get anything less than an enthusiastic yes, if you get, like, just crying, that is your answer. Your answer is just, he's very sad. You've yeah. broken him. Yeah. You broke a perfectly nice person. You didn't break a person. You're a person, too. You made him sad. He has to go heal himself. We should take questions from the audience. Hello, audience. Uh, I think we have somebody with a microphone who's going to run around and give it to you. Uh, before we ask you all questions, I have a couple of requests for you when you ask us questions. I love you. I believe all of you are smart, caring, thoughtful people. Ask one question, not five. Um, make sure it's a question and not a statement. Um, and uh, we're going to make a woman go first because it's better when women start things. Uh, I think those are the only rules. Yeah, ask away. We will, we will be helpful and kind. Okay. So I have another work friend question. Um, I'm a freelance video producer, and I have two friends who I work with a lot, and we give each other extra work when we have too much work to do ourselves. So these friends I give to, some work to, but they keep 
missing things like they missed the deadlines, they don't check all the resources I've sent, we talked about it, they said we'll be better, and then today they weren't better. Um, so I know I need to give them less work, but I don't really know how to approach this. And I know they have a lot of things going on, like they just got engaged, they just moved, they might to be traveling. To each other? Yes. Oh, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I am their favorite third wheel, so. Um, oh, so you, so this no, maybe we're just over friends. into like personal life too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for starters, congratulations on being in video, uh, which is still uh, monetizable by all accounts. <laughs> That's why you have extra work. Yes. So that's great. Nicole, you've had a work friend who's not great with deadlines, often promises they'll get better, <laughs> and doesn't. What worked for you? I loved my work friend with all my heart, and everything my work friend does delights me. And sometimes Riley amuses me. Uh, that's probably not great in your situation. Um, you have done the appropriate thing of talking about it. Uh, you have drawn their attention to it. It has happened again. Um, could you clarify a bit how much you need this work to be done that you cannot do? I mean, I have other people I can give it to, and I've, I've said that, and they said, oh, we still want this work. So I'm like, great, I'd rather give it to my friends. But Here's my question. Does it make you look bad when you refer people to them and then they don't get it done. Because that's my concern, is that you're gonna then stop getting as much work. So people are gonna say, oh, well, I tried to call her, but then it didn't turn out well. Well, it's more that they're subcontracting to me, and so it just puts more stress on me, or it makes me look bad. Yeah, I, I think kind of the nice thing about this is it's a very clear like action item. Like mm -hmm. uh, You don't have to make it about something like, I feel, weird working with you or you're not nice, you can just say, hey, deadlines are actually really important. Uh, you missed the last couple of deadlines. I'm taking this to somebody who delivers consistently. Um, sorry. I, it's been a long time since I had to use work words, so <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like. But yeah, I think just, just like kind of like the deadlines are the bad guy, right? Like this is just an objective reality that has to happen. Um, and you know, you can do the sort of like generic like, hey, sorry about this, but you know, obviously I need the work done on time. And if they are, you know, reasonable people, like I have sometimes gotten emails like that and I have always felt like my own petard, it hoist me. Like I've never, I've never thought like, oh, this is someone's being a jerk. I'm always like, oh, I can't believe I got away with it for so long. <laughs> also, I feel like not everything has to be like a difficult conversation. Sometimes you can just refer the work to someone else and it's not that you're keeping it a secret from them, but just, you know, if they ask, oh, well, I thought so-and-so would be great at this, you seem like you had a lot on your plate right now. I, Such a good phrase. That's a good phrase, but sometimes when you do that, people follow up with, well, just so you know, I'm very available now. And then you are in a corner. That and you then you can say, next time I will call you. Yeah. But then you don't. <laughs> I think the best way is just to say, hey, I gave this project to someone else on account of deadlines. Uh, I know you've got a lot coming up. Enjoy your, you know, something nice about like, I'm excited about your wedding. Uh, but just keep it light. Don't make it sound like you are apologizing for something that is very reasonable. Don't apologize. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you do, you do have to do the like, one, so like how many sorries do you have to do, right? Like just in talking to people, you have to have some sorries. It's punctuation. Right? Canadians. It's punctuation. Like you say, hello, I'm sorry. Like that's just... <laughs> 
That's how you let people know you don't hate them. I, I was in this country for 10 years before I stopped saying sorry if someone else bumped into me on the street. We should take another question. Yes. Um, so my mom got me a Christmas present. She got me one of the DNA kits. And I'm not giving my genetic material to a corporation. So how do I respond when she asks me about it? And when I say, I'm not doing that, and she goes, oh, but I just thought it would be so much fun. You know, there's some great, I I agree with you, I don't like those DNA kits, they give your information to too many people. There's some great articles on the internet about why those are bad. Maybe if your mom is the kind In the of history person, of sending articles to your mom. Oh. Well, no, I mean, I'm just Has saying, that ever worked? if the, she's the kind of person who will respond well to that, you could say like, oh, well, I read this article and then maybe see if that will work. I don't know. Not everyone's mom will respond well to that. You can even start with, I was so excited when I got your present. And then today I was going online to see how to start it. And then this happened. So it sounds like you and I, together, sensible people, thought this would be great. And then information was presented. And now I would like to know how you feel about this. And then just don't do it. I did it. It was great. I don't care who has my information. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... But you should. Yeah, I think... And I, I'm going to just, you know, because I'm on the farthest, like, side of the thing, I'll also be on the farthest. Just, like, no, I don't want to give my genetic information to a company that sells it to other places... Uh, I, I, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm so glad that you were thinking of me. This does not sound like fun. I would not have fun doing it. It would make me feel anxious. I don't want to. And, you know, you can couch that in however you normally talk to your mom. Um, but I think that's a totally appropriate thing to just say, like, I'm glad that you thought it would be fun. You guessed wrong. <laughs> also, you can give the kit very easily to other people. Yeah. Because it doesn't know who you are yet. Yeah, make those suckers... <laughs> Make those suckers give their information to the government. They've already got the little FBI guy watching on their camera. On the they computer. already have all your information. It is. Uh, don't uh, be so precious. As the Simpsons genes. taught us, if you've ever handled a penny, the government has your DNA. <laughs> Why do you think they keep them in circulation? If anyone would like a genetic testing kit and does not share this person's <laughs> privacy concerns... Please come see us after the show. <laughs> and we will give it to you. Do you have it with you? Well, we'll you know, we'll, we'll, we'll facilitate an exchange. You can yeah. give it to us, and then we'll pass it along. You do have a great blazer. Very good glasses, too. We should take some more questions. <laughs> I saw your hand up before, and then justice compels me to give you the microphone. You know when you make eye contact, and you're like, I have to say you now? So, um, uh, just so you know, the family I grew up in is kind of a mess. I hang out in R raised by narcissists uh, on Reddit. So, uh, when I got married, my brother asked me if he was going to be my best man like three or four times in a row. Basically because of like weaponized anxiety from my mother around how we were planning our wedding. And I, I for the longest time, have planned when he gets married to ask him if I'm going to be his best man like three or four times. And, and, but as I've like gotten older and matured, I'm starting to have some doubts. 
And I just thought I would ask you guys if, if really I should listen to those doubts and put away this revenge fantasy. Uh, yeah, it sounds yep. like I should. Let's do this silently. Just don't do it. No elaboration necessary. That will, it will not produce joy in your life. I understand. Thank you. I love you. I bless you. Good the luck in your life. The impulse is a very logical. Also, do you really like the the thing is? No, he just wants he to might, bother. His he brother. might say yeah. yes, and oh, then you really, might, yeah. and then you'll have to do it. I really want to do it. I just want to give him a hard time first. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Never works out. I had a letter just like this from some sisters a while back about <laughs> cats and IVF, and it went so badly. <laughs> it went so badly, you guys. Learn from those sisters who have made each other suffer in such inventive ways. <laughs> Next question, please. Um, all right. Uh, I could use some advice on dueling mother and mother-in-laws around visitation. <laughs> we, we have produced take, the first grandchild on both sides. Neither family is nearby. And it seems that as soon as one knows that there's a visit happening, immediately tickets are booked for the next visit. And they're like keeping score on how many days, and who's around when, and it's horrible. So you definitely need an information diet situation, um, because there is no reason that your mom needs to know when your mother-in-law is visiting, and vice versa, which could be... What if they're all friends on Facebook? Facebook. But just you can just also say very vague things, like, I'll have to check, or I will get back to you, or... The baby's on fire. <laughs> Do they stay with you when they come? Yes and no. Do they book tickets without confirming with you first? Uh, there, there was a text chain this week with my in-laws and my husband, and the general practice is I don't participate and they deal with it. And then I checked back in and tickets had been booked. No. So that's uh, Thank you the, the one that. problem with that strategy is that you and your husband don't get on the same page before yeah. he deals with them. It sounds like you're like, just handle it, honey. And then he handles it in a way you don't like. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the number one thing, right, is to like the, you and the husband have the conversation of like, all right, how many times this year do we want each parent to visit? And the answer, by the way, could be none. <laughs> absolutely reasonable to say we want a year where you don't come visit us maybe we'll come see you maybe we won't like it is okay to like get that number down um and then armed with that knowledge and prepared that they may not like it that's fine they will live they will thrive um you know then you guys can say do not book a ticket until we say great and uh yeah, t- talk about it with your husband first. Also, I think blocking just entire months out on your calendar and saying, sorry, we cannot do a visit then, and not giving a reason yeah, why. Just, that doesn't oh, work for no us. Reasons. Power move. Is your most important thing to do. All right, we have time for one or two more. So, you know, somebody in this area with a great one. You seem very enthusiastic. I'll just, again, point at you. I'm so sorry. I should have come up with a better strategy. The microphone people are fantastic. Uh, hi there. Um, This is a friendship-related question. I have a really, really close friend who went through probably uh, the worst year of her life to date last year, including a breakup of a six-year relationship, uh, parents divorcing, uh, and a couple of other hard things. Um, She does not like feelings and has said this many times that she wants to avoid talking about feelings. Uh, I grew up with a therapist parent and I'm very used to feelings. (laughs) And this feels like the opposite 
um, of what might be helpful for her. And so she's talking about, uh, you know, going on benders and doing some things. And I feel like I'm constantly providing the contrarian view and I don't like being a downer. Um, I'd rather just be supportive. So I'm curious, do you have any advice for how a friend might address this with their, their buddy? And uh, yeah, just any thoughts? Carefully, for sure. Yeah. I, I know, I think there's kind of one style of advice that I often employ, which is the sort of what is the other person goal, the other person's goals here. And your friend has very clearly stated that her goal is to not talk or think too much about the negative feelings she's experiencing, which no one ever says that about joy, by the way. Hmm. No one's ever like, I don't want to think too much about joy. Um, so, you know, there would be the one kind of school of thought that it's like nothing, take her at her word. Um, just talk to her about the weather or sports or your feelings. Um, uh, and then, and that's all. And, and some of that I think is, is true. Like, I don't think it's a good idea to like push at it constantly, um, or to like bring it up repeatedly. But on the other hand, when it's a close friend, when someone that you've known really well, when there's a sense of intimacy and mutual trust, and like, as long as you kind of have a clear sense that you do respect their boundaries when they like really make things clear. Um, I, I think within those confines, it's not as if you're like a stranger on the street disrespecting the way someone's chosen to live their life. If you say to your friend, I love you. I'm a little nervous that when you say you don't want to talk or think about your feelings, you kind of then clearly do do things that are as a result of those feelings, like big old benders or whatever, which I get it. Sometimes like sometimes they help, but um, you know, I just want to name this at least once. Um, and I just want you to know if you ever want to talk about these feelings with me, you can, I know sometimes it feels like if I think about these feelings, they will be so big, they will swallow me whole. Um, and I'm just here to like, you know, be supportive of you and to just remind you that like feelings sometimes feel like they're going to be fatal. Every time I have a feeling I'm convinced it is the feeling that will kill me. It's going to be the one that takes me out. Um, You're so going to have it for the rest of your life. That's the same of my feeling. Life. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's just this, you know, it is my ghost of Christmas past. Um, <laughs> just following me around. So I can really relate to that. But I think, yeah, ha having, uh, you know, kind of at least one conversation where you just kind of make it clear. I understand your strategy. And if that's just how you're going to get through the sort of immediate aftermath of all this stuff, I get it. But, um, I think at some point you'll, you'll want to do something different and I'll always be here if you do. Um, do you guys have anything stronger to say? Uh, Jasmine's parents are both therapists, which is why I'm moving myself over. <laughs> I, I guess I, I understand how it is to grow up with therapist parents. Um, I would say that you don't want your friend to think, though, that whenever she talks to you, you're going to be like, so how are you feeling today? Right. Um, so, you know, have that speech about, like, I'm always here for you if you want to talk about anything. But also, why don't we, can we go see a movie? Or, you know, try to hang out with her in non-feelings kind of discussion ways so that, like, she can relax and hang out some. And then if you're worried about some of the things that she's doing, then you can say, like, I just worry about you. I want you to be okay. Just know that I always care about you. And then, you know, leave it there and... Maybe someday she'll want to talk about her feelings. She probably will. It'll just take a while. And I think that's a good balance, too, between, like, not trying to have a big cathartic moment and then also not necessarily, like, being her, like, Louise to the Thelma on the bender. Um, like, if it makes you nervous to be with her, like, if you worry when you when she's doing the, like, kind of bigger things to not deal with her feelings, like, um, it is not, like, unkind or unfriendly of you to say, like, I'm going to leave on hour six of the bender take care of yourself. Like, you know, uh, 
you don't have to go like if she's like let's go to Vegas and not feel anything you can say like no I have work because <laughs> um, I, I, I do get that like when you really care about someone and you feel like they're going through a rough time part of you feels like I have to really up my caretaking game and I think you know you can increase the sort of vocal support you offer um, you can periodically try to spend some more like neutral time together but you do not have to like ratchet up your level of worrying about her to meet the like bad stuff she's experienced. Because if you do that, you're going to be panicked for a while of just like, is she okay? How is she today? How's the grief today? What's the level of the grief? What's the temperature of the grief? Have I measured the grief recently? What have I done to ameliorate the grief? Um, and I say that as someone who often does that. Like if someone I care about is hurting, I'm immediately like, what are we going to do to stop it? Um, and sometimes the answer is like, be honest, be truthful, be loving, be supportive, and then go do something else. Um, cause you cannot, sometimes watch. it's just like sitting on the couch and watching the great British baking show for like five hours in a row, which is great. I recommend that to everyone, but you can pause it and talk about your feelings. Like that's the thing that I don't get is I'm just like, feelings are the best thing yeah. to talk about. That's all I talk about, <laughs> but I'm not everyone. All right. Uh, I think we should stop because my producer just gave me a face okay. that seemed like a stopping face. <laughs> Guys, this was the greatest hour and a half of my life. Before, before we leave the people, these, these beautiful people who came out on a Thursday night to see us, do you guys have any parting thoughts, any approaches to advice giving, any general pieces of advice that you would like to give everyone while you have a captive audience? If you go to France, bring your own toilet paper. <laughs> also, they don't eat peanut butter in the UK. So Mallory... Now I, have to, now I have to come up with advice. Find friends like these. Aww, that's so cute. I'm so better. Um, thank you so much for coming. The show is over. Jasmine's book comes out on Tuesday. It's called The Wedding Date. Oh, yeah. I'll be live tweeting. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Special thanks to Faith Smith from Slate Live and all the great folks at the Brava Theater in San Francisco for making this live show possible. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question... Call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. We'll see you next week. If you're looking for something else from Slate, check out If Then. If Then is a podcast about technology, society, and power. Each week, Slate's April Glazer and Willa Remus take you on a lively tour of the tech news that actually matters. From fake news in your Facebook feed, to the algorithms that want your job, to the Uber drivers who want a job with benefits. 
with newsmaking interviews of key tech industry figures, fascinating academics, and top tech journalists. They explore not only how the technology that's shaping our world works, but the ideas, ideologies, incentives, and biases that underlie it. New shows are out every Wednesday, so please give a listen to If Then and subscribe.